0: House prices are up, apartment leases are down, and some office buildings still sit empty.
1: So how did the pandemic reshape how we value space? I'm Luke Garrett.
0: And I'm Loris Vitalniak.
1: The pandemic brought on new priorities in the real estate world. In short, people wanted more space at home.
0: This week, WTOP business reporter Jeff Claybaugh tells us how the shift made home prices rocket, why apartment rentals started getting cheaper, and what happened to all that abandoned office space in the D.C. area. Jeff, why did the demand for DC area houses rise so rapidly through the pandemic?
2: You know, it didn't happen right away. As soon as the pandemic hit, like in mid-March, the local housing market just came to a halt. And I think the real estate community was really concerned. I mean, the housing market had been red hot leading up to the pandemic. And I think real estate agents sat back in March and April and thought, oh no, what are we gonna do? But then long about May, there was a period where there was a little bit of opening up and people just had been housebound in maybe small apartments. Maybe they had kids doing classwork at the kitchen table and they just needed more space and it was time to get more space. And so that led to this rush to the suburbs. You know, you get a backyard, you maybe you get a swimming pool, you're not in an apartment building right. going up and down elevators with people you live with. So then along, along about May... It really, really did take off, and it also helped that people weren't spending money, mm. so they were saving money for a down payment. And you know what happened to the stock market last year? It went crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah. So
2: people who could afford it and had the money to spend, I would say DC is probably a little different. I mean, people who live in the district want to live in the district; they're willing to make the trade-offs to live there. Mm. But for the close-in suburbs, especially people in smaller houses and apartments, it was a rush to the suburbs.
1: How big are these price rises? What were we talking like? Was it something that we've seen before as far as the housing markets go, or, or is it spikes that we haven't seen before?
2: It is spikes that we have not seen before. I mean, you know, prices are up like 14% from a year ago. And that's always the best metric to measure is what the current price is compared to a year ago as opposed to the previous month. Mm -hmm. But prices keep going up month after month after month. And, I mean, (laughs) pity anybody who's trying to buy a house in Arlington County. The median price in Arlington County is now three quarters of a million dollars. And that's just, you know, that's the average price to get into Mm -hmm. a house in Arlington County. We just of Arlington County houses sell before they're even for sale because realtors say all we have to do is say coming soon and we'll have four or five offers within two days.
0: People are buying things sight unseen, it sounds like, for things to be moving that quickly.
2: That all got started during the pandemic when the virtual tour thing took mm-hmm. off because nobody wanted people traipsing through their houses. There <laughs> were no open houses. That whole thing got started during the pandemic, but now it's to the point where things are so competitive that people are willing to make an offer on a house before they actually walk through it, which to me sounds crazy, but that's the way the market is. Mm.
0: So the counterbalance to owning your home, traditionally, is people will rent their home. Did we see the same effect for the price of rental apartments?
2: Exactly the opposite, Mm. actually. Apartment rents, even today, particularly in areas like Boston and Roslyn, Alexandria, are down like 10 to 12% from where they were a year ago. Mm. Rents have started to rise the last couple of months, but Mm -hmm. rent prices are still down in many parts of the D.C. metro by double digits. And that's because people left apartments. People who live in apartments tend to be younger. They tend Mm -hmm. to be transitory. The pandemic hit. They thought, hey, it's time for the next phase of my life. No better time than now. And so they probably moved up plans to get married, start a family, get a house. So landlords were stuck with all these vacant apartments, and when that, when that happens, you have to make the rent lower, mm. Mm. and rents tumbled, really, in some parts of the city, and landlords became very aggressive with incentives to try to get people to rent, you know, a month's free rent, free parking, no application fee, that
1: kind of stuff. Right. And I also remember seeing a stat in the LA Times that said 52% of 18 to 28-year-olds actually moved back with their parents, you know, and left apartments and went back home.
2: Very good point. In fact, that is at least an equal part of the equation. I Mm. I should have mentioned that. It's not just people who are moving up what they plan to do with their life. But if you work at a bar or a restaurant or a dinner theater, you don't have a job, you can't afford rent. So, yeah, there were a lot of young people who moved back in with, well, with friends or family or doubled up or tripled up with two or three roommates to get through it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating because D.C. is known for not enough housing, but not enough affordable housing specifically. So to hear that landlords were desperate for tenants.
2: Maybe desperate's a strong word okay. to use, but they certainly had to rethink mm. what they were doing. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: You know, with this rethinking of space and how people really reprioritize their space, a big part of that was people wanted more space because they had to work from home, and that meant commercial real estate probably was affected in a big way because people just weren't in the offices. How were commercial real estate and large office buildings affected?
2: You know, this is a story that is going to play out in the months and probably years ahead, but I don't know of any big landlords that actually went bust, mm. but I know there were several high-profile foreclosures of buildings in the D.C. area. That doesn't mean the landlord went bust. It just means the person that was paying the rent wasn't paying it. So they took it back and put it on the foreclosure market. Here's what's happening with the D.C. market. Every quarter, there are commercial real estate reports that show how much new office space has been leased. For two quarters in a row, the amount of new office space being leased in the D.C. area is actually offset by the amount of office space that has been turned back or that Mm. wasn't renewed. I think it's called net absorption. Mm. And in the final quarter of last year, like 350,000 square feet of office space in the D.C. metro were vacated as opposed to how much was leased. And it was, you know, almost half that in the first quarter. So... Multi-tenant buildings, those are what most office buildings are. The last statistic I saw, and it was from May, so maybe it's a little better, but the vacancy rate is like 18%. Okay. Uh, Landlords are having to lower rents in some cases. The point that I think you're trying to get to is what happens now, and companies have to decide not to renew their lease, to renew smaller space, to consolidate several locations into one. And the D.C. area has got a problem on top of all that because there's tons of new commercial real estate in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. It's currently under construction and will deliver in the next two or three years, and a lot of it is office space. Long term, I think the commercial real estate industry is concerned about office space and just reinforcing how much housing has taken over office space real estate. This big D.C. landlord, it's called Washington Real Estate Investment Trust, announced that it's selling all of its office properties, all of them in the D.C. area, and will take all that money and buy apartment communities. Wow. Because that's where
0: the money is. Yeah, right.
1: Man, I remember growing up, I would go to Maza Gallery, you know, to watch all my movies, and I'd go there just to go shopping in general. And then I I saw recently that Mazda is going to be turned into residential living. That just shocked me. I never would have thought that would happen. Yeah, that tenant
2: who was running that place defaulted on loans, and and so the owner of the building put it up for foreclosure and bought it. Now, it, yeah, you're right. It's going to be I think like uh, 350 apartments and maybe 26,000 square feet of retail will remain. But that mall has been you know, largely dead for the last couple of years anyway.
0: Mm. Sorry, Luke.
2: (laughs)
1: My childhood memories.
0: Your childhood, it's dead.
2: (laughs) It's over. Friendship Heights had its heyday, and maybe this is the return of Friendship Heights. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure of how how anyone could answer this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Um, (laughs) Do you... Foresee that people will kind of return to the office? And how have you seen companies and businesses kind of deal with this question of how to bring their employees back or whether just to go all on virtual workspaces and just do everything from home?
2: Well, first of all, companies are kind of flying by the seat of their pants here. You know, this is called a novel. COVID virus because it's novel, it's brand new, Mm. and companies have never had to think about this kind of stuff. But there's a lot of pushback from people who say, hey, look, I'm much more productive. I'm happier. I'm not commuting. My job productivity hasn't dropped. And there's employers who say, we're better as a team and we want everybody here. Everybody's trying to figure this out right now. My best guess is that for companies that can do it and for employees that can do it, the most common solution will be some kind of hybrid, Mm. like You know, a couple days a week at home, three days a week at the office or something like that. But, you know, for people who bought these houses, Mm -hmm. right, they said, that's it, I'm out of here. I want a home office. I'm going to work from home. They weren't going to make that financial commitment up front a year ago or six months ago unless they were pretty darn sure that they were going to be able to work remotely forever. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe commute into the city one day a week or something. I don't think you're going to see people who bought all this space suddenly saying, well, time to sell it and move back to the city. Because if they made that financial commitment, they had to be pretty sure that that was going to be an ongoing thing for them.
1: Do we have the numbers on how many people are actually returning to their offices? People in D.C. aren't really back in the office yet. Mm. There's a company, well, you have one because you
2: work in the building with me, your <laughs> your security card that you you know you open the door with. That company's called Castle Systems. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it makes the security cards and the fobs that people use to enter the building or enter their offices. And it keeps track of how many people are swiping the card or touching the fob. And it issues a report every week. And that's one way to judge how many people are going to buildings, right? Mm-hmm. And in D.C., in in the hundreds of office buildings that it has its security systems on, in the D.C. metro, the occupancy rate is still only 27%. I mean, that's really low. That's like Three-quarters of your workforce, on average, is still not in the office. In Dallas, it's 50%. So obviously that's going to change as, as the weeks and months go on. But I think it's interesting to note that while we keep hearing about how everybody's going back to work, going back to the office, most people still have not, at least by that measure.
0: Can we expect to see home prices come down at all?
2: Home prices rarely fall unless it's a very, very significant economic event which, I mean, the pandemic was, which makes mm-hmm. it kind of ironic that home prices didn't fall. But I think they will continue rising. Perhaps it'll moderate. They'll rise more modestly. The problem is that housing markets has gotten so expensive that a lot of buyers, they're balking. They're priced out of the market. And at some point, there has to be some kind of balance between buyer and seller. Right now, there's way more buyers than there are sellers. But if that shifts, then prices would have to moderate.
0: Yeah, I mean, D.C. has always been such a competitive housing market to begin with, and an expensive one at that. I will be interested to see if a come down is reflected in the prices.
1: These home buying trends and apartment trends seem to be pretty ubiquitous across major urban areas in the country. Is there anything that is very unique about the D.C. area in general? Mm.
2: Yeah, a couple of things. D.C. has always before the pandemic, was a perfect city for remote working. I mean, government contractors do a lot of their work remote. Booz Allen Hamilton has 13,000 employees here, and a lot of them are remote workers. Federal government jobs have been increasingly shifting to some work-at-home options. Technology workers. We think of D.C. as just government jobs, mm-hmm. but you and I know that it's a big tech hub, and tech workers can work remotely. When there was the fleet of the suburbs mm-hmm. in D.C., it was not as extreme. More people moved, but they didn't move far. Whereas, like, you know, in New York City, people just boom, as far away as they could get. That didn't happen here because I think the city is a draw and all these other cities have become cities in themselves, like Tyson's Corner is pretty much a city.
0: They'd like to think so, yeah.
2: Yeah. So suburbs themselves are much more urban here than I think they are in many cities. So it's a couple of things that are different. And as I mentioned when we started this conversation, people who live in the district itself are willing to make the trade-offs to live there because they live there for a reason. And the convenience offsets the cost Mm. for a lot of people.
1: And one other dynamic we saw in the real estate world was this years-long eviction moratorium. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that looked like and how it played out for both renters and landlords in the D.C. area?
2: It's a very good question. I mean, you, you can look at it from both sides. If you're a renter and you can't pay rent and you need a little help, you'd expect the landlord to cut you a break and work with you. But if you're the landlord, you probably have a mortgage, and if you're not collecting rent, you're not making the mortgage payment yourself, and so you're in trouble too. There is some relief for landlords who have a mortgaged multi-tenant property Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have extended their program that allows them to stay in forbearance on their mortgage payment as long as they don't evict tenants. Now, Forbearance doesn't mean they don't have to pay what they owe, it just means they can pay it later. I think the best solution right now is this eviction moratorium and it will be interesting to see when that expires. I think a lot of local jurisdictions will step in with their own eviction moratoriums. I think the district has when the CDC moratorium expires.
1: Back in March, the Biden administration made a 90-day extension to the CDC's federal eviction moratorium to limit the spread of COVID-19. This extension is set to end on June 30th and will leave eviction decisions up to localities.
0: In DC, Mayor Muriel Bowser started a 30-person rental housing task force which recommended a phased end to the city's comprehensive eviction moratorium based on indicators such as COVID-19 case numbers, court capacity, the availability of eviction prevention resources, and funding for rental assistance.
1: In Maryland, a statewide eviction moratorium will run until the state's COVID-19 emergency ends on August 15th. And in Virginia, the statewide stay on evictions is set to end on July 1st. Governor Ralph Northam said he won't extend the moratorium, but will work to protect renters who will soon be at risk of eviction with rental assistance programs.
0: This episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak.
1: And me, Luke Garrett.
0: Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Locksbeat.
1: Join us next Monday as the world reopens. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app i really enjoy living in the dc area is great and podcast dc gathers all the local shows that i like all in one local app health sports local news politics and so much more i can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts i love instantly available in the app store or in google play listen local with podcast dc